Welcome back to Christ Chapel's teaching supplement to the Reengage curriculum. If you missed the first lesson on love, please go back one episode and listen to that. It was great. But for now, we're continuing on with lesson two, brokenness. This was one of the hardest realities to admit in my own life and marriage. But it was hugely impactful when I realized that both my husband and I play a part in the problems in our marriage. So if you've come to re-engage believing your spouse is the problem, let this week be a reminder that even you fall short of God's standard and that your marriage is broken because it's made up of two broken people. Let's hear more about brokenness from Ryan McCarthy. If I were to ask you, then what, what comes to mind when I mention brokenness in marriage? Or more specifically, what is broken in your marriage? I definitely want to encourage you not to answer that out loud. Uh, someone is sitting next to you. <laughs> but w- what is broken in your marriage? The list of things that might come to mind, it can get very long across a number of marriages, but even in one particular marriage. There, we all face issues like communication problems. Uh, maybe your husband is, is like a wall, talking to him. He just doesn't, he doesn't give you anything. Or maybe there's nagging going on. There's, communication problems are common, but they reveal brokenness. There might be tension and conflict, or rudeness, or a lack of appreciation Maybe your marriage looks more like uh, your roommates than than you are passionate partners. The list goes on and on. Expectations, in-laws, busyness, stress, distractions. So what's, what's broken in your marriage? In the next thing I want you to think about is if, if you could wave a magic wand and have those issues that came to mind, if you could have them disappear, if, if the financial stresses went away or the communication problems got smoothed out, or say your in-laws, they moved to Finland, whatever it might be, if those things went away, would everything be okay? Would your marriage be good? It's tempting to believe that they would be. But here's what's tricky about brokenness is the stuff that grabs our attention Usually, those things are not usually our biggest problems. The problem of brokenness is not the stuff that we see and encounter on a daily basis. The real problem is what lies below the surface in our own hearts. You know, I mentioned Titanic in the first lesson, just the movie. The movie Titanic, that movie is a movie about romance, right? About a romantic, you know, love relationship. The story about the Titanic, the boat, that is not about a romance. That's about an iceberg. The fate of the Titanic, that, the fate of the Titanic was sealed when it collided with an iceberg. But if you, were on, if you were above the water, on the boat, what you would have seen was, you would have seen a near collision with an iceberg, but they managed to actually steer clear of, of a direct collision with the iceberg. But the damage happened where? It happened below the water. It happened b- below the surface where the, the larger part of that iceberg, the bigger threat, it, it cut a gash down, you know, a good majority of that boat. The damage was below the surface. And this, the, the real threat of an iceberg is always going to be below the surface. The real threat of brokenness and of our sin is in, 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 in marriage in particular, it's going to be the stuff that's below the surface, the stuff that we don't see. 
God's word repeatedly calls us to take our eyes off of the things that we see and focus on what is unseen. Now, there's an eternal sense of that. We're supposed to focus on God. But there's another sense in which we're supposed to focus on our own hearts. Our own hearts, that's where brokenness really shows up. And scripture calls our eyes and our focus to focus on our hearts. If I were to title this this sermon something other than just brokenness, I would title it the problem of my brokenness. And I want to clarify what I mean by brokenness. What, What exactly is brokenness? Brokenness is not just a weakness or a shortcoming or something that's kind of wrong. Like if I have a bad back, I'm feeling broken, or if I have a tendency. Really, I want to be specific. Brokenness is my sin. What is my destructive contribution to this relationship? Where is my sin bringing a strain on our relationship? That's the brokenness that I want to focus on. And so a good passage that that clarifies where we are supposed to focus on when it comes to brokenness is Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. Jesus is speaking and he says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What we see above the surface is coming from what's below the surface, out of the heart. The good, the bad, the ugly. That's the stuff we're going to be tempted to focus on, but that leads to our first point. We need to learn to think about what's broken in our marriages as a lens that reveals what is broken in our hearts. Think about what's broken in your marriage, both big and small issues, as a lens that reveals what is broken in your heart. I want to illustrate this with some... um, just some pictures here. I have a picture of the sun representing life in a fallen world. And these two trees represents two different people. But these, these two trees are exposed to the same sun. Now, uh, if, if that's life in a fallen world, what I mean is we all experience stresses, joys, compliments, insults, promotions, demotions, all that stuff. And some people, this... Uh, next image is some people are going to respond to those stresses or those pressures or those whatever with love joy peace patience kindness that's the fruit of the spirit when someone is faithful and gentle and self-controlled when in the face of what life throws at them that's good fruit other people though are gonna show dysfunction, dysfunctional responses to stress, or there's going to be fear and anxiety, disorders, a whole range of bad fruit coming out of the exact same situations. So one person is going to respond with good fruit to stress and the other with bad fruit. That is a product ultimately of what we're planted in, what our hearts are rooted in, what are we at a heart level desiring, focusing on, Are we living our lives in service to ourselves? If we are, we're going to produce bad fruit. We're going to be uh, difficult to be around. That's going to look like brokenness. But if we are living our lives with our desires and our focus 
if we are all about living for the glory of God in service to Christ, that's where the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that, that's what's it's gonna come out as a result. We have to train ourselves whenever we're in the face of what's broken in our marriage to not look at the, what's broken, what we see, but to trace it back down to what's going on in our hearts. So think of those problems of brokenness as a lens to your own heart. And a, a, a good way to, to help, you, help you know how to do this is to use these words, and these should be in your notes. The, use the words situation, response, thoughts, and motives. When, when a situation comes up, and I'm gonna throw these on the screen, here's just a hypothetical one. Your spouse hardly greets you when you come home and he or she remains distant and aloof the rest of the evening. Okay, that's a situation. That's, there's some brokenness there. Let's say your response is you're hurt and you're angry and you attack with unkindness and hurtful words. You know, maybe you're, you're sarcastic or you're just short with them or you give them the cold shoulder, whatever it might be. But that's, that's a, it's not a, not a good response, obviously. So situation response, what, what thoughts are going on? Well, maybe you're thinking, and now we're going into the invisible realm here where nobody can see this. You're the only person who knows that you're thinking, I don't deserve this. What did I do? Why am I getting this kind of treatment? Or maybe you're thinking, I would never be distant and aloof like that. I would greet my, I would greet my wife with warmth and kindness. Uh, what's, what's her problem? What's his problem? At the base of that, even below our thoughts, are our motives, our driving desires. This is what we're rooted in. Maybe this person needs to be loved, to be respected, appreciated, to feel like they're a good husband or a good wife, reflected in the way they're being greeted when they walk in the door. Situation, response, that's all visible. The thoughts and the motives, that's where the real brokenness is occurring. James 1 verse 2 says that we are to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith produces you know, this character that God's trying to work. When things come, like when difficult things happen, God has a good purpose with it. But if we're rooted on, in our own agenda, if, we're, if our eyes are not focused on him, then you can just consider all the different things that are going on with this person who is it essentially their situation is revealing their own broken heart, their own, their own brokenness in their heart. Some of the, just consider some of the brokenness that is happening with this person. They, they uh, feel entitled to a nice greeting from their spouse. There might be self-righteousness when they say, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this kind of a greeting. Maybe there's insecurity at the heart level. What did I do to deserve this? judgmentalism or pride or anger are all seen in this idea that I'd never do that. What's her problem? God wants to take all of that and reveal what's going on in our hearts to change us. But unless we focus on our own hearts, we're going to miss all that because we're focused on our spouse. We would never know that we have root problems unless we faced the trials that come at us and unless, unless we learn to focus really on what's going on in our own lives. So what issues above the surface are you facing? And have you ever looked through those issues to your own heart? Secondly, at least my second point, we need to learn to force ourselves to focus 
on our sin. I'm going to put this more personally. You need to learn to focus on your sin, not your spouse's. And I'm certainly speaking to myself as well because I seem to automatically see with crystal clarity what Brandy's done and be completely blind to my own issues. What's the thing that is most likely to hijack your ability to get below the surface and look at your own heart? It's your spouse's sin that you think you see crystal, with crystal clarity. It's funny because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says something that just gets right to the heart of it. He says, uh, chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, or how can you say to your spouse, let me take the speck out of, out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye or to take the speck out of your spouse's eye. You know, I really do. I, I think I understand exactly what's wrong, what Brandy is doing. It, it, Brandy's sin seems so clear to me, and I am completely blind to what's going on with me almost all the time. And I, and I wonder, is Jesus saying that there's really a speck in Brandy's eye and there's really a log in my own eye? No, they might be, let's, let's just say hypothetically that they're both the same you know, size, that we both have specks. I think the reason he calls it a log in my own eye is because if I have a speck in somebody else's eye, if I have a speck in my own eye, this speck in my own eye should be big because the closer something gets to me, the bigger it gets. I should see my own sin as a huge looming problem, but instead I tend to look right past it to somebody else's sin, or I look right past it to what's going on to me, what's happening to me. God wants to use those things to reveal what's in me that needs to be fixed, what's in me that needs to be healed. So here's some practical steps on your notes on how to, how to focus on your own sin. Number one, ask God for his perspective regarding your sin. Ask him for his perspective. We all have our own interpretations of what's going on. But God has his interpretation and his interpretation is probably a little better, right? Ask God for his interpretation or his perspective regarding your sin. Secondly, agree that your sin is the primary issue. I should be more familiar with my sin than I am with my spouse's. I need to agree with God that my sin is the primary issue. And third, aim to see your sin as even more alarming and even more offensive than, than your spouse's. Gasp. You know, that's hard. That is very hard to do. But if we have, if we're taking Jesus at his word, we have logs to deal with long before we need to deal with specks in somebody else's eye. I've heard it said that we, we look at other people's sin through a microscope and we look at our own sin through a telescope. If somebody tells me a lie, I'm going to call them a liar. If I, t if I tell a lie, it's because I'm complex. You know, I, I, well, it's not that big. That's not, I usually don't lie or I'm going to, I distance myself from my sin and I associate other people with their sin. That's hypocritical. So, the problem is not he or she, it's, it's me. These are all phrases I've heard along the way, but they, they get to the same point. I'll give you one personal example. 
I wouldn't know about my self-righteousness or my insecurity if, if it weren't for the fact that every once in a while my wife dares <laughs> to point out something that I did wrong or the way I handle a situation. I, I think I'm doing fine. And then I respond to criticism with this sense of indignation or I'm insecure and defensive. If my focus is really, if my focus is only on, on Brandy's tone in the way she pointed something out to me, I'm in danger of missing something that God is revealing to me by his mercy. Okay, so learn to focus on your sin, not your spouse's. Next point. Deal with your brokenness or your sin before God. Deal with your sin before God, then humble yourself before your spouse. We're called to pull up our own weeds. We're not called to pull up our spouses, right? And here's the thing. We can never successfully deal with whatever, with whatever brokenness we see in our marriage and in our spouse unless we have really humbled ourselves before God first. Because anytime I try to step in and deal and, and address something that's broken, I'm going to find out what's broken in my life, right? And if I, haven't st if I haven't gotten before God and listened to him and confessed my sin to him, then I'm not going to be too eager to hear about it from my spouse. But when I get before God and, and I say something like Psalm 51 verse 4, David says to, to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David commits this sin of sleeping with a married woman and then killing her husband to cover it up. And he stands before God and says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's getting eye to eye with God and looking at the fact that, God, you've given me so much. And I, I just... I went and did my own thing. I, I was not grateful. And he dealt with the sin before God. He was properly humbled, humbled that if somebody else points out something wrong David, David had done, I think he would be humble enough to listen to, to, to that criticism. And the reason is, is when we stand before God and humble ourselves before him, we don't get a backhanded judgment from him. We don't get folded arms or him shaking his head. No, we get forgiveness. We can stand before God, humble ourselves before him, look at our own brokenness, because whatever sin it is that we're discovering, we can know that we're discovering forgiven sin. The sin that I bring before God, that's my sin, is sin that has already been paid for. And it's beautiful. I can be convicted before God and see that what's wrong in my own heart, God already sees it, he knows it, he loves me and he's paid for it and he's revealing that to me so that I can begin to change. And then if my wife brings up something else, I'm ready to say, I appreciate that. that I needed to know that. I could see her as an instrument of God's mercy revealing what I needed to hear. I want to go back to this image of the uh, situation, response, thoughts, and motives. And what, what does this look like if you are not greeted friendly, uh, kindly by your spouse, what would it look like if your heart, if at a motive level, you wanted to glorify God? So down at the level of motives, imagine if you say, I want to glorify God in this difficult situation. 
if you're humbled by his love for you, you walk in the door and your spouse isn't kind to you, well, maybe if you want to glorify God, you might have this thought. My spouse is a sinner, but so am I. What's, what's my role in this? God, how, how do you want me to respond? All of those thoughts could be coming out of the heart that wants to glorify him. And out of that, that's where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that's, it all comes out of that. If we learn to deal with our brokenness before God, we'll be able to deal with the brokenness that's being pointed out by our spouse or even the brokenness that we see in our, in our spouse. Quick personal example of this. It was a, a few months ago, Brandy and I had one of those big arguments that lasted, I felt like it lasted a good portion of the weekend where every time we tried to um, settle it, it just seemed to lead, lead to round two and round three. And it was, a, it was a rough weekend. I was doing a wedding that weekend. And it was a Saturday morning. So this is a Friday argument. It was a Saturday morning. I went into the office early to prepare my, to prepare the, the marriage that I was, the, the talk that I was giving in the marriage, the homily. And they had chosen Colossians chapter three to uh, have their, uh, their wedding homily based around. Colossians three says this, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. I mean, because of time, I'm not reading all of this, but as I read, I was preparing my homily based off this passage. This read like a resume of who I was not being. It was like my, it was the opposite of the way I had been acting that weekend. And I felt so convicted. I'm before God preparing this, this wedding homily, feeling like a total hypocrite. So I put down the, the, the marriage lesson that I was working on and I began journaling. And I want to read just a little bit, this, a little bit of this journal entry. I wrote, Father, uh, would you accept my journaling, my writing to you in light of my current state? Help me to focus on my contribution to this problem and allow me to trust you. you you're going to work on Brandy in your timing and in your way. All I know is that right now I'm not filled with your spirit. Please forgive me for not turning to you or inviting you into my struggles, into my dis discouragements, temptations, and thinking. I confess that while I feel stuck, I have no one but myself to blame. And yet in my heart, I'm prone to shake my fist at you. I think things like, why do you have to make this so difficult? Or see, there's no point in, in, in obedience. Not only am I failing to obey or take every thought captive, I am only serving you as far as I am convinced that you are going to give me what I want. Would you remind me of your fatherly love today? Would you remind me that Christ is seated at your right hand, interceding on my behalf? Would you help me to set my mind and my hope on the glory that will be revealed to me when Jesus comes again? You tell me to put to death what is earthly in me. And it goes on. I, I begin confessing to God my own brokenness. Do you know what happened when I went home from spending that time with God? I was able to humble myself before Brandy and ask for her forgiveness and focus on my own sin. The brokenness that we encounter that weekend 
begin to get healed. And I've had to replay this story many, many times, and I know you do too. It's, it is not until we learn to deal with our own brokenness under the surface of our own hearts that we can begin to really deal with what's broken in our marriage. And I want to end with this really good news. You don't need your spouse to change in order for your marriage to change. I'll say that again. You do not need your spouse to change in order for your marriage to change. God wants to use the challenges you're going through to reveal your own brokenness so that you can let him change you. Then you can watch him change your marriage in a way that you can never do it on your own. Let me pray. Father, thank you for um, dealing with our brokenness at the cross. That Jesus is the only one who wasn't broken, but he went to the cross and died the death of a sinner. He entered into our brokenness and, and took the penalty and began to work healing in our hearts. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus on our hearts and humble us so that we could become um, people who humbly love our spouses. And Lord, I do pray that you, you heal the brokenness in our own hearts, but I also pray that you would go the next step and heal the brokenness in our marriages. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.